Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Three, Risk Analysis. Chapter 26. silence that followed was like an ice sculpture, solid and cold, but fragile all the same. It filled the room, freezing retorts and out-of-hand dismissals from all present. Admiral Bethany Dusane's cat gaze narrowed as she studied me. She studied everyone on my side of the table. Then she very deliberately turned her scarred head and stabbed a particular man in her entourage with a sharp scowl. This guy wasn't in good light from my point of view, and I hadn't really noticed him sitting there. I could tell, though, that he wore a dark civilian suit, not a fleet uniform. Light reflected off a bald head, but his face was in shadow. Comments from Ain I.B.? the Admiral asked. Not at this time, Admiral, the shiny shadow man replied evenly. His silhouette seemed to shift a bit and face directly toward me, but it was hard to tell. The skinny redhead on my side leaned over in front of the young solicitor. She had to push back from the table awkwardly. What are you doing? The guy hissed at me, but I was all in now and spoke to the room. A compact high dock parked out near the jump point kept a small fleet of courier ships on hand. It sent daily dispatches back to Interstar with all the latest news from the system. Others would pop in regularly, up to several a day, with dispatches from corporate HQ and elsewhere. They also brought in personal data for employees, like letters from home and such, along with occasional packages. Barney's fancy smackball basket had been one such, Team maintained its own courier system and did the same for its people. It was this kind of traffic that had flagged the system to Ania Wi'iloni to begin with. Department heads had the authority to dispatch special couriers, if communication was especially time-sensitive. Well, I was now head of a department, and I needed info fast. Barney had told me to just go to the out-system communications office run by a private contractor called Distributed Light Incorporated, and have them do an ident pass on me. Thereafter, I should be good to go. So I did, and I was. Hearing back from corporate HQ would take time, though. Maybe a day, maybe a few. I wasn't sure I had that many left in R&D. 
Hull Design wasn't going to lay off simply because I was waiting on some information. They looked down on the rest of us to begin with. There seemed to be some residual animosity from the earlier management engineering regime over there that had somehow survived the purge, like an endemic disease living in the soil just waiting to flare up again. Weaponry wasn't alone in its anger and shock over this development. The next day, we had a general meeting of all the sub-departments in the Integrated Systems Collective affected by the takeover. It was held in the largest conference room, but just turned into a big gripe session. We ate up nearly half a shift and accomplished nothing. My name was kept out of it, thankfully, but there were still unanswered questions. Mailbrot wanted me where his operatives could watch me, so he was reaching for the entire department? <laughs> I should have felt flattered by the thought but I could only wonder why the man was going to all this trouble. It was the foremost question in nearly every conversation I had with my bosses. Why would Corporate Security Space Branch be willing to disrupt the entire project again? What did they think I was going to do? This would set it back weeks, maybe months, while yet another new oversight infrastructure was put into place. They might have suspected me of spying, which was fair enough. But if that was really the case, even at the lowest level of doubt, I'd have been back on Caesar's palace under heavy guard. I actually didn't have access to anything that sensitive. While nearly everything we were doing in weaponry represented customization of one kind or other, we had no hands-on with the new technologies. Details of the free jump machinery were completely restricted, nor did we get access to blueprints for the new Gendis system, only where certain power feeds were and how much juice we could pull from them. What was Team so worried about then? Maybe it was no more complicated than what 8 Casselier had said. Mailbrot hated me. It was maddening and bouncing ideas off colleagues and superiors, as well as Barney and his stay-sick officers after hours, got me nowhere. To be honest, the idea of talking with Barney's people had gotten me pretty worked up. There were seven or eight of them total, but I only met three, and they wouldn't share their names at first. Two middle-aged women and a muscly guy with suspicious eyes. They listened to my tale of woe without comment until one of the women asked about Shady Lady's crew members. I tried not to go into deep detail. It was Mavis I wanted to talk about, so I did my best to keep the conversation focused in that direction. They weren't really interested in helping, I could see, at least not yet. I went over what I knew about secret encrypted messages, assassins in the alleyways, and the true goals of all the players. It wasn't much. Even after all this time, it wasn't much at all. If there was anything I could learn from them, it didn't present itself in that little audition, interview, meet and greet. And when it was over, they still didn't seem all that friendly, even though they acted well, satisfied with my story. I had assumed that Barney was their boss, and indeed he might have been, 
but consensus seemed to be their standard procedures since SpaceX breakup and dismantling. That cybernetics specialist they had on tap sounded exactly like someone who could help Mavis, but they told me they had to talk about it among themselves. I asked about the prisoner. Barney gave the others a nod of permission. He goes by the name of Mark De Beers, the muscular man told me, reading from a data pad. That's fake, of course. Real identity unknown just yet. Manager for a cafeteria in one of the bigger admin buildings. Completely innocuous. We weren't on to him at all before the attack. He added nothing more. They were still sizing me up, so the conversation was naturally stunted. Why did you guys decide on this route? I asked Barney after a fair amount of uncomfortable silence. Why stay here and go underground? It's our home, Ejok, he replied, sounding surprised by the question. The others looked at me like I was especially dim. When the research here was over, a lot of us intended to stay and incorporate. Turn my lag vernier into a full-blown colony station. It's big enough and there's plenty of precedent. We were having preliminary town hall meetings, discussing the best and easiest way to make the transition. It looked like the project was going to wind down within a year or two, which would have been plenty of time to get our political and company stuff in order. And then I shot down Jaybird, I supplied, so he wouldn't feel like he was accusing me of anything. Yeah, that's when it all changed. We picked up the encrypted transmissions prior to that, I explained. You had a security problem long before we got here. We just drew your attention to it. In a big way. So big it rocked the station. It rocked the company. Why do you think UH would do this? Why do you think they'd want to get hold of advanced tech? Do they want to keep a lid on it? Maybe. Kill the technology in the name of peace and stability? Or use it themselves? Doesn't sound like them, he replied dubiously. No, it doesn't. But big companies can change directions, diversify. One hand doesn't know what the other is doing. This was a plum gig for me, and I had to work hard to get it. It had been canceled and restarted several times. If they're behind what we think they're behind, then it's no wonder it took so long to put together. They would have had operatives in far-flung parts of the galaxy to coordinate, and new networks to put in place. They would have had missions like mine to assemble and launch. It would have taken years, the muscle man, off to the side, put in. Which means they had to know about this project before it was in full swing. Before Mylag Vernier was even in this system. Again, it's looking like a leak in corporate HQ. Barney shook his head, thinking. I could buy a UH mole in corporate easier than a trader. Why shepherd this project along only to give the results to a for-profit NGO? Those executive bonuses are pretty sweet. At least as good as what they'd earn for committing treason, certainly. Yeah, that doesn't track, I agreed, feeling lost. UH has the juice to pull this off, but everything I've ever seen and read about them tells me they wouldn't act this way. And church space is mixed up in it somehow, too. 
Then we're back to your mysterious BOD member, this CPM-10 Farlington, he pronounced. I've looked into his background. He rose through the ranks fast, coming up from a small tech subsidiary called Numera Industries ILLC. It was the outfit that first started development on this new Star Jump system. We're calling it Free Jump. Really? He looked perplexed, even a bit scornful. Yeah, why? You don't like it? No, no, it's fine, I guess. He shrugged. The others looked unimpressed. Okay, well, whatever, I replied, oddly annoyed. If Farlington hasn't been selling us out, is he dumb enough to let all this happen? Well, his background is impressive, but they have publicists for that. He wasn't on the board of directors until a few months ago. He replaced someone else from Numera. Oh? Maybe he wasn't part of the Free Jump's early development after all. How'd he manage to grab the seat? Who knows? The big man dismissed. Bought in. Got himself appointed. I don't know how that works. On a pocket data pad, he pulled up the names and company portraits of a mixed bag of very well-dressed people. Some looked old, some young. He was scrolling and stopped on a blonde, pale man who appeared young, but with those telltale old-person eyes, indicating there'd been some genetic work done to set back the clock. That kind of medical care had become fairly widespread and reliable. People could well live forever, if they had the money, and the procedure was getting cheaper all the time. It was widely speculated that the costs of so-called age reassignment procedures would eventually drop to the point where nearly anyone could pay for them. That would make us a race of immortals, barring accidents, violence, and extreme poverty. Those three things were far from uncommon, though. And just how did UH actually fit in? It was an independent company, yes, designed to make a profit for its shareholders. Supposedly, though, it was structured this way only so it wouldn't be beholden to the ephemeral kindness of governments, corporations, or wealthy benefactors. It was dedicated to brokering peace and stability throughout the galaxy, wrestling with issues large and small wherever people had conflict. This was a principle at the fundamental core of its vision statement. Either the entire upper management of the company, as well as all the private contractors involved, had been compromised by outside interests wanting to exploit the free jump tech, or what? The idea of a vast, watertight conspiracy between church space, UH, corporate space board members, and all the smaller companies and cells required to pull this thing off seemed flatly absurd. There was no way something like that could exist without every intelligence operation in space, as well as the media, getting wind of it. Bureaucracies simply weren't that competent. There would be holes, and secrets would pour out of them. They always did. No, the picture was still clouded, and I said so to everyone present. Barney just shook his head, and the others offered nothing. 
To prove any of this, we needed evidence, and there was no way to collect evidence without proof. It was all I could do not to toss a chair across the pub in frustration. But then, CPS 09 Mailbrot's office called, and my attention was redirected in a big way. You think you can play games with me? He demanded. He had a couple of other officers with him in the meeting room who seemed just as demanding, though they let their superior do the shouting. You think you can force a nine to lay off with some sort of budgetary complaint? You're living in a dream world, Mr. DeSantos. I hadn't yet heard from anyone on Interstar about this, but the nine apparently had. Am I? You seem pretty upset for someone so immune to company policy. No one is immune, and I haven't done a single thing wrong. A simple error with the books hardly gives you leverage over... It absolutely does, I countered, cutting him off, my own volume rising along with my blood pressure. The guy was a serial button pusher. Because your yacht is only the tip of the iceberg, Nine. In the same dispatch as that complaint, I also sent a priority inquiry to corporate accounting. Yes, featuring you. An audit is underway as we speak. You can't stop it, and you can't stop any penalties that result. But I can. I can get a message to the BOD that you've become vital to my investigation in your present position. It wouldn't stop the audit, but it would delay the judgment, or even alter it in your favor. I will not listen to any of this. I want you off my station, DeSantos. I want you out of my star system. After such distinguished service, you're willing to let it bog down now in piddling ledger discrepancies? Because even I believe that's all it amounts to. But accounting won't care. As a senior officer, they'll make an example of you. They have to. They'll strip you to the bone. They'll find out about every transaction you've ever paid for, Nine, and every one you didn't. It'll be a pathetic, bureaucratic ending to a stellar career. I can help you now, but that window is closing. I can be an asset instead of an enemy, if you let me do my job. I cannot have an independent intelligence organization running around my post, period. You don't have a choice. Period. If it isn't me, it'll be someone else. Someone you won't see coming. At least I'm the devil you know. That gave him pause. It gave all his toadies pause because he was seeming thoughtful suddenly and they were only there to follow his lead. What do you want? The question came out as a challenge. As a fishing line with unimpressive bait. I bid anyway. What did I want? First off, take the surveillance AI off my back. Mailbrot's eyes grew wide in surprise, and he looked to one of his people in particular, but spoke to me. How do you know about that? Secondly, I want my on-station clearance raised. 
I'm being balked by closed doors with sentries. I need to pursue leads through all the departments. Assuming your promotion goes through without a hitch, he replied, that shouldn't be a problem. Rank and clearance aren't the same things, and you know it. I don't care about ordering people around. If I'm going to find the enemies operating on this station, and elsewhere, I need a free hand. He was scowling at my tone and insolence, but clearly thinking about my proposal. Finally, get Hull Design to drop their bid to take over the rest of R&D. I have no say in that. Can we put aside pretense just for a moment? Get them to stand down, and I'll make the audit go as far away as possible. Between your service history and my recommendations, it won't amount to more than a form letter. He was still thinking, but didn't reply on this point. Instead, he focused on the details. You say elsewhere. Where elsewhere? I think you know, at least partly. I have the same suspicions. And make no mistake, this spy ring is real, and it stretches a long way beyond 21611B. I haven't seen any reports out of you, he complained. What do you have that's concrete? Nothing, but I'm rather sure we're looking for church space operatives. It's papal? Where do you get that? So I told him what I knew about the Code family used by Layden. We've been a little frustrated with that. How did you narrow it down? I'm not without my own resources, Nine. Go through the papal codes that you have on record in fine detail. This one is different than anything we've seen before, but that's where it's coming from. I'm sure of it. Two of his offs made notes of the information, then left the room with a nod from Mailbrot. And you just want to stroll along like this from now on? He asked accusingly after they'd gone. You don't want to be held accountable for your operations on this station. You don't want to fill out reports. You want to be the lonesome cowboy shooting from the hip. I've seen that kind of shooting, I replied bitterly before turning to go. And so has Brandon Erzga. I haven't given you permission to leave, he bellowed, but I was already out the door. As I walked along... I fumed, mostly at myself, feeling stupid and mouthy, like usual. A boss calls me on the carpet, and it just gets my hackles up every single time. Had I had the perfect argument ready and the perfect plan in place to get that man and his department on my side, I still would have botched it when my temper flared. They just had a way about them. Officers did, managers did, and it plucked at my patience. Yet peevishness was an expensive luxury right now. I knew that. I repeated it over and over to myself as I trudged down the street, until it finally got through. Perspective. Yeah, okay. If he gave me some space to maneuver, and the clearance I asked for, I wouldn't begrudge Mailbrot a single one of his curses or complaints. I'd accept them all with a hangdog look that would make him grin. 
because time was running short. I couldn't shake the fear that something was going to happen. And it was going to happen soon. He loves you, Floy laughed. She lay next to me in my bunk. It was a tight squeeze, but very much worth it. We had gotten together later that same night, after work for me and after whatever running around she was still doing regarding the R&D shakeup. I haven't given him much reason to, I agreed, less mad at myself by now. In fact, I was feeling oddly satisfied. But if Mailbrat's instinct for career survival is strong enough, it'll all work out. I'm sure I'm right. Said every great screw-up in history, she inserted, and I gave her a bite on the shoulder. She squeaked and then hee-hawed like a mule. I wanted to include her in everything. I wanted to tell her about Shady Lady and even about Barney and my dealings with what seemed like all the undercover operatives in the galaxy. But those weren't my secrets to tell. I couldn't reach so far with my heart as to put the others or the mission into danger. But it sure did stink. Because I wasn't sitting on my hands this time. I wasn't taking this relationship for granted. Sure, it might end badly. Probably it would. It had come out of nowhere and would doubtlessly go back at some point. But for the moment... It mattered. And because it did, it was one more reason to keep my secrets. Maintaining the compartments of my life was still a necessity. I'd only opened up to Barney because he hadn't given me a choice. The fact that I needed him and his pals was secondary. What took the lead then? The original mission. Investigating suspected irregularities in an international agreement had to take center stage. Yet it was more than a treaty verification. It had always been. Spies, assassins, attacks, out in the black and in the streets. What was United Humanity up to? Were they, in fact, up to anything? If it ever got out that they'd maintained free jump secrecy, it would be inflammatory even if they'd been doing it in support of their self-appointed mandate to keep the peace. And if there were any UH operatives still aboard station, other than those of us from Shady Lady, were they, in fact, one and the same as the church space group? It didn't make sense. What was I missing? Where was Melbrot stationed before coming here? I asked Floyd. She held off on her answer because, just then, I got a Charlie horse in my leg from being curled up into a weird position for so long. I jumped up, grabbing my calf and cursing. She tried to comfort me, hooting the whole time. It was not romantic, nor attractive, nor anything else a woman like her merited. But people rarely get what they deserve in life which I find both tragic and comforting. I don't know where he came from. Some other duty post. Does it matter? It might. Can you find out? 
Sure, but can't you? Unless it was a classified detail, it should be public information. I can find out what's in the records, but they might not show at all, and I don't know anyone in team other than you. What are you looking for? I want to know who he directly worked under and who might have had a reason to want him placed here. You're assuming there were other candidates, she said. There might not have been. His qualifications could have made him uniquely suitable. His certifications, maybe. So far, I haven't seen many qualities. Every break he's gotten here has come from other people's efforts. She was up now because of my painful dance and was getting dressed. He's not the brightest officer in the service, certainly, but that doesn't mean he's some kind of foreign agent. No, it argues the opposite, in fact. It also argues against him even having this post to begin with. Yet here he is. You think he's being used? Yes, but not directly. Team required a smart, inquisitive person who could dig through the problems here, plug all the holes, and get this project back on track. Instead, they put Mailbrot in charge. He's here precisely because he's not the best for the job. I wouldn't say he's an idiot, she argued, fighting with her boots. I stooped to help. She had told me she'd gotten her team-issued footgear sized and tailored by a cobbler back home. They looked great, but were hard to get on without a shoehorn. All I had was a spork, which might have been painful. No, an idiot would be too obvious, I continued. He's just smart enough to know what needs to be done, but not smart enough to actually do it. In a way, that really is a specific set of qualifications. I can't follow half of what you say, she confessed, taking out a small plastic bottle from a breast pocket. Carefully, she squeezed out two clear drops into each eye. I must have looked curious. Just a pick-me-up. No time for coffee. I have a meeting with Brie Bordeaux from Hull Design at 1900 and have to run back to my quarters, shower, and change into a fresh uniform. How'd you manage it? I inquired. I've been trying to see that guy for days now. I asked him to dinner, and he accepted. Perks of the gender. If Mailbrot comes through for me, we won't need Bordeaux, even if he's besotted with your charms. And they are prodigious. Running late now. At least I got another kiss out of it. I had to talk to my crewmates on Shady Lady about Barney, but of course that represented a problem. How could I get them to trust old Stasek officers who were, technically, breaking the law just as we were? Actually, I saw the stealth ship as sort of skirting the law, but whatever. It would take a leap of faith on their parts to trust my judgment in this, and my judgment had, more than once, been in question up there. But we had no choice if we wanted to help Mavis and get out of here. It was a gulf, and it was approaching. I went to R&D hoping for distraction. There wasn't any. The entire department was at a standstill because of Hull Design's lowering clouds. 
I learned that three young bucks in weaponry had put in for transfers, apparently seeing their chances to shine under this part of the project rapidly disappearing. I couldn't blame them. Actually, I didn't care. There were two other kids in the sub-D that were sharp and real assets. The rest were just dead weight, hungry to rise, but not especially worthy of it. Jake had left for the day, and Gaza was about to, even though her shift was supposed to go to 2100. Today's a bust, she said, sounding bitter and exhausted, walking away. The team kids looked to me for instructions, since they were shy any leadership at that point, but I was hanged if I'd take on that job, too. Instead, I just focused on satisfying the power nodule imbalances we were seeing in the schematic. This wasn't especially hard work, but it was exacting, and took some math I didn't want to trust solely to computers right away. The blueprints only allowed for addending known archived weapon models, which ours certainly weren't. There was no way to sim what we were doing in advance of actually building prototypes and testing them out. Two of the team officers helped me. You can guess which ones. The others wandered off, and they weren't missed. I took a moment to note this in a memo to Gaza. That much I could do, anyway. With or without the Deadwood, we were a solid, productive group, I realized. The other sub-departments had stopped all work because of this hull design thing, or so I'd heard. But weaponry was still swinging the pickaxe, breaking the rocks. Okay, that metaphor was a little mixed. R&D wasn't a prison. No one else was trapped in this place, always on the edge of being discovered for a fraud or enemy. They were all patriots, or at least loyal to the company. I was loyal to the job. But which job? Gunnery? Investigations? Building a warship? Wasn't it just possible I could be invested in them all? Care about them all? Everyone, even Mailbrot, had said nice things about my commitment to whatever it was they happened to think I was doing. No, not think I was doing, was doing. Sure, I was stretched to the limit and slowly growing paranoid, justified though that illness had proven itself to be in recent days. But work was progressing. Shady Lady was nearly ready. Barney and I, well, Barney, his people, and I, had bagged a foreign agent. Weaponry here in R&D, was making great strides and pushing forward when all the other sub-Ds were at a standstill. It was a dance. I was in the spotlight, and I was owning the ballroom, all of it. It was mine. I could spy and catch spies. I could defend a ship and build one. And they didn't know. No one had any idea what the whole picture looked like. It was all me, and all motion, and... It couldn't go on forever. It was amazing it had gone on at all, let alone for this long. I was seeing it through a fractured lens or prism. These colors and images floating and circling each other. 
touching, rubbing shoulders, but never merging, never resolving into a single picture, a single life. Sometimes the conviction and dedication to our escape was all-encompassing, a passion, a quest. Other times it was an abstract thought, all vague, like a piece of dusty philosophy or a painting composed of random pigments and spatters. When I felt like that, it took focus just to have an opinion. And God help me, sometimes I even forgot about it completely. Playing smackball, drinking beer and laughing, sipping nice coffee, making love to a woman who thought she knew me. Doing all this as if my whole world wasn't about to implode, as if the galaxy wasn't poised to change forever. It couldn't sustain itself anymore, the dream, the dance. There had to be movement. After work, I decided. Today, after work. You have been listening to Risk Analysis, a science fiction novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter, where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2016 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Risk Analysis is called The Inventor by Zach Beaver and is available on SoundCloud.com. Risk Analysis is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.